How many uh, OU freshmen does it take to change a light bulb? Four. Nope, zero. That's a sophomore level course. (laughs) (laughs) The day of my daddy worked here, my granddaddy worked here, my great-grandfather, those days are I would say they're obsolete, but now what we have to do is make sure that the individuals, whoever they are, said, I like this place. I want to make this place better. And even though my job, as you said, Patrick, is small, the small job I do makes a change all the way up the line. I'm Patrick Pacheco, and you're listening to Season 2 of In Good Companies from Cadence Bank, the podcast where we guide you through the forces shaping your business inside and out. I want you to think about a football team, a good one. They've got some of the most talented athletes in the world, players who can run faster, jump higher, and push harder than 99% of the people on Earth. At the very least, they'll be competitive. Now imagine that team without the coach. No plays, no game plan, no inspirational halftime speech. How do they do now? It doesn't matter if you have a team full of pro bowlers. Take away the guy with the clipboard and the headset and you'll have problems. That's the importance of a leader. Leaders decide goals and dictate strategy. Perhaps most importantly, they set the culture. But the workforce is changing and leadership is evolving along with it. So what makes a good leader in this current moment? How do you engage and inspire your workforce? And what can you do to improve so you don't fumble this opportunity? Holy cow. I wonder why I have football in the brain. First of all, I'm Keith Jackson Sr. because there is a Keith Jackson Jr. That's why it's not every day we have someone with five Pro Bowls and a Super Bowl ring on the podcast. Anyone with that resume knows a thing or two about leadership. But Keith's experience goes way beyond the football field. Patrick, I grew up in my formative years in Little Rock, Arkansas, and as you mentioned, I went to the University of Oklahoma, got recruited there, graduated in 87 with a bachelor of art degree, and after that, I got drafted to the Eagles, and then first round, 13th pick, then from the Eagles to the Dolphins, from the Dolphins to the Green Bay Packers. While I was playing, I started this organization called PARC. I founded it. I've been the president of it ever since in 1993. Patrick, I've served on many local boards. I served on the Oklahoma Foundation and and two public boards that I'm proud of, Don and Bradstreet and Cadence Bank as a director. So that's kind of the gist of getting me to this point. Keith's been leading and observing leaders throughout his career. In that time, he's developed his own thoughts on the subject. What I want to do is get your definition of leadership. What do you view leadership to be? I like to say what leadership is not, right? Leadership is not being a dictator. Leadership is not dictatorships. And that's something that we've got to recognize today. When you're leading, you're leading a group of people. You're leading for a change or have this common goal. When you're a dictator, it's typically all about yourself. I think sometimes people don't recognize the difference between the two. You've got to come in and understand that leadership is a privilege. And there are certain things that go with that. With all the knowledge he's collected, Keith's devised his own formula for successful leadership. To be a good leader, there are things that you have to be able to do. One is you got to be able to see it, right? You got to see it, you got to say it, and then you got to write it. It's so simple, Patrick. See it, 
say it and write it. When you say see it, you're talking about vision. You're being able to have a vision for the company. But if there's already a vision set, you got to buy into that vision and you got to see the end product of where you want to go and what kind of leader you want to be and how you want to establish yourself inside the company. Saying it is basically having faith. I believe in what I say. Sometimes if you don't say it, do you really believe it? You've got to be able to say it, let the words come out of your mouth to say, this is going to be a great company. Here's how we're going to do it. And you've got to say it. That's having having faith. But writing it, whether it's a business plan or strategic plan, it's got to be written down. So what you see, what you say, you got to write it down. And if you're governed by those three, you can become a great leader. See it, say it, write it. Those are key pillars of effective leadership, but there are plenty of different ways to fulfill those principles. I don't think there's one fit all. I think that you have individuals who say, I know what I'm doing, I'm very confident in what I'm doing, and because of that, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna direct everything. Then you have individuals say, I like an offensive coordinator, I like a defensive coordinator, I like these coaches that are around me, and I can actually manage the game, but what they can do, they can bring me the information to make me better. So there's two kinds. I don't say that you prefer one over other, but I will say that you can use both of them. One thing I want to add to that is, is that leaders are forged in the fire of hard times. And right, sometimes when you're in the midst of it, you don't have time to call a group, a session and get ready. You got to make quick decisions. But sometimes you've got to be very calculating on how you're going to work something out, how the year is going, how the process is going to go. You know, when I think about leaders, that's something that they have to do is look at situational awareness and be able to plan through it. You look at what we just went through, Patrick, when you talk about COVID, right? Nobody knew COVID was coming. You didn't know how to get ready for it. It just showed up. All of a sudden, everything changes. Now, the companies and the leaders that were able to make the changes were the one who still survived and came out unscathed. And that's part of it. Nobody knows when hard times are coming. So therefore, how do you know to make a quick change or a long change? You've got to be able to do both of them. So even great leaders, great football players, great anything, there's always room for improvement. What do leaders do to improve themselves? Well, first, we don't need to grade our own papers, right? If you ask me, I do a great job all the time. I don't know if anybody else believe that, but... <laughs> I believe you, Keith, because I right, do the same right. thing. So. Right, I do a great job we, all the time. We get each other. Yeah, you get it, right? So, but, but you need to have someone who is looking at you, someone that you admire, that is sitting there over your shoulder and saying, hey, you need to get better at that. We talked about great coaches down the line. There is a great one that, that exists up in Green Bay. His name Vince Lombardi. said, leaders aren't born they're made. I want to add something to that, though. Leaders are mentored. They're not born. I think that when we look at all the great leaders in any country, our country as an example, they always talk about a mentor or individual they learn for or individuals that they learn from. I think that what you have to realize is that we learn from individuals what to do and what not to do. Sometimes you can have a leader that you can take a piece of what they have and leave the stuff that you don't like. I reminded of a story of my mother used to say, she said, you know, when you're sitting there around people and you're learning from, it's like going to having dinner at their house. 
The things that you like, you eat. The things that you don't like, you leave on the table. I think there's some time when you're being mentored, there's some things that you go, that doesn't fit in this time. That's not my personality. But the things that you do like, you got to realize that when you see great leaders, they've always learned from someone else. So you brought up coaches. Uh, you've worked with some legendary leaders in the, in the football profession. I mean, some of the biggest names there are. I'd like to kind of go through and explore some of these, some of these folks and you know, what their leadership style was like and, and what you thought about it and how it impacted you. So let's start with uh, Oklahoma. Yeah, Barry Switzer, national championship at Oklahoma. Uh, he's won a Super Bowl ring with the Cowboys. What did you learn from Barry Switzer? What type of leader was he? Barry Switzer was a really positive reinforcement coach always looking at the positives, always talking about team more than I. He was just always one of those guys who always said, here's what we can do. You know, I was having a conversation with him not long ago, and he said to me, he said, you know, Keith, when you were in school there, we went 42-5-1. and one. That's a pretty good football team. The one tie was against Texas because they were afraid to go for it on third down and win the game. <laughs> fourth down, I, 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 I fourth remember, down to win the game. Yeah, that. yeah, so they tied it. But 42-5-1, and, and we had a great career there. But he always talked about his coaches, his players, and he always talked about how great it was that you played for him, that you helped the Sooners win. And he always was complimentary and, and had this positive reinforcement about him. That's the reason why he won 83% of his games. You're an incredible leader in your own right. I mean, you've been on boards. You have this organization. And you said there's some things I could take, like your mom said, I'm going to leave something on plate. There's some <laughs> yeah. things I won't. Yeah. How did you take your mom's advice with respect to these coaches? You know, when I, I looked at all the coaches and I look at Barry Switzer, when you have an organization, whether you're the CEO or president or just the leader of the organization, you got to make sure that you're positive reinforcing the people that are around you. And you got to make them understand that the team concept is so important. Keith's first coach of the pros was the legendary Buddy Ryan, who made his name as the defensive coordinator for the 85 Bears, one of the best defenses of all time. Oh, man. Buddy was one of those Army veterans. I call him one of them brown shoe, you know, sergeants or whatever he was and just really tough. But he did use positive and negative reinforcement. I think he was at a time when he grew up where they put you through all these pressure points to see what kind of man you were. And if you could survive it, they moved you over into a different category. I'll tell a great story. So I'm a rookie at the, I'm the first round, 13th pick NFL to the Eagles. And uh, the reporters, uh, they interview and Buddy Ryan's 88, think it's spring break. He's, he's taking time off. He's at 88. He never called you by name. And so it, it hits the paper the next day, and I'm reading it. And so they came to me, and they said, uh, well, Coach Buddy Ryan said that you were taking break. You know, number 88 is taking a break because it's spring break. They said, what do, you, what do you say about that? I said, well, back at that time, they had a drink that Buddy was doing a commercial for, Slim Fast. You know, you drink the venom. <laughs> yeah. So I said, well, tell Buddy Ryan that it looks like he's drinking Slim Slow, right? <laughs> <laughs> the next day, I get called into his office, right? And I'm sitting in his office, and he said, I'm reading the paper. Did you say that about this Slim Slow stuff? I said, Coach, let me ask you a question. Did you say something about me looking for a spring break? And he said, okay, he closed, he closed up the paper and he said, I'll see you at practice. 
Well, he started calling me Keith Jackson from that day, or Hero. He said, Hero, Keith Jackson. So what he did was he used his negative reinforcement until he saw you wasn't going to take it anymore, and he moved you. He realized that some people he could bully a little bit, and in some he couldn't, but that's the kind of way he coached, and he was very successful at it. Buddy Ryan is sometimes you don't treat everybody the same. Sometimes you got to have those conversations with individuals that are not producing, but yet and still you got to realize that there's some that you can't push too far and you got to be able to use a different method i always thought he might have a little soft spot because in some big game or something happened he'd crack a little smile on the sideline because he always had to be that mean rough coach and every now and then he let you see the soft side of him right and that's just that's the way buddy was for a great defensive mind though after four years in philadelphia keith joined the dolphins and their hall of fame coach don shula to this day, Shula still has the most wins of any NFL coach in history, and he's the only one to ever have a perfect undefeated season. Keith quickly found out why. The magic to Dunn Shula was he was so organized. He was organized and he asked for perfection. You had to be perfect in everything you did. And if you did it wrong, he made you do it over again. He was just so methodical and he was so organized and he did everything the same way every day. Things never change over the year. And you kind of go, I wish he'd change it up a little bit. But you realize that this guy is making sure you're eliminating mistakes. He didn't put up with mistakes. And so what made him so good and what made him such a great coach over all those years and so many wins is that he eliminated mistakes. So when you got on the field, all you did is make plays. And when you made a mistake, he will come down to you and let you know it. <laughs> you could catch 10 passes. When you drop one, oh, no, he's on his way. And I said, Coach, I caught 10, you didn't say anything. I drop one, you come down here. He said, you get paid to catch him, not drop him. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he's one of those old school coaches that he would get on you on the sideline. He didn't care who you were, Dan Marino, Keith Jackson, whoever. You're going to hear it. <laughs> That's good. I tell my boys sometimes when, they, when they, they'll say, well, I was right. I said, yes, but you were right for the wrong reasons. So you're <laughs> really right. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's, that's hard for them to understand. I, that sounds like you could have gotten a great tackle and still he'd say, yeah, but you're in the wrong position. Yeah, I don't care about the tackle. That's yeah. exactly right. Because it's about the next time. What's the next time? I mean, are you going to make the right decision in the times that you're playing against better talent? Don Shuler, when I think about my way of leadership today is not like Don Shula in the sense that I will have to be negative, but it is like letting people understand we've got to do things the right way. we got to do it every day. got to be very consistent and we got to eliminate the mistakes because mistakes will cause you issues down the line. Mistakes will, will derail the success that you're having. And so that I learned from Don Shula. It was with his final team, the Green Bay Packers, on the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field that Keith ultimately won a Super Bowl. And he attributes much of their success to the Packers coach, Mike Holmgren. So out of all my coaches, Holmgren was an educator, came from the West Coast offense. It was the whole thought process about everybody on the team or coaches. And, and they looked at you like, you need to know all of the information, all the plays, everything everybody's doing. It's the first time that I had been with a coach that says that that was he was a school teacher too. Now we got to say that he was a math teacher once upon a time. That look at at football like it was an educational thing, and so he would just say, for instance, it's third down. 
in order to be a championship team, you got to be at least 50% on third down conversion, which is hard to get. So when you drop a pass on third down, he didn't have to come down and scream at you. He just kind of look at you. You know the percentage, but he would teach you. He said, here's what we're doing in this situation, and this is what we're going to. And he was the first thing to bring everybody into the room and to have a conversation with everybody. You're hearing what the quarterback does. You're hearing what the running back does. You're hearing everybody. So in the game, you could actually be the coach. And I'm going... This is this is really interesting. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm learning the whole game, not just my position. Most of the time, you learn your position, you come together in practice, and in practice, you do what you're supposed to do. The other guy, they, and it comes together. No, he he wanted you to understand. This is how this works, and this is how we're going to be successful. So when you made mistakes, you knew you made mistakes. Great, great way of coaching. Great way of communicating. That had to be a kind of a breath of fresh air to understand why they're asking certain people to do things that you might wonder, why are we running this play or why are we doing this on second down all the time? And then you realize this is why we're doing it because we're setting up something in the fourth quarter or something like that. When you think about it in business, it's a communications, right? You, you got to communicate things down, why you're doing it, why you create it, how you're going to be successful, and you got to continue to do that. And the more you know about your business, the more you can go out and produce. And that's just what the Holgram way was. I mean, just educating the masses, being able to take that vision that you have and being able to explain it to individuals that are working for you and they understand it and they're educated about it so they don't make as many mistakes, one, and if they do make a mistake, they know they've made a mistake. But coaching and leadership in general is changing. I would say this though, the days of, of the Don Shulas and the, and the Buddy Ryans of the world are really tough. I don't know if you could last being those hardcore type coaches anymore. I think that you have to, to, to recognize that it's a different time. We're dealing with a younger generation that just won't accept that. And with that being said, I would say that when you look at Switzer, who says, hey, rah, rah, we can do it. We can go out and achieve it. We're going to be the best. He had this statement that we're going to hang a half a hundred on them, right? So we're going to win so the next company know we're the best company, that we're producing the best product or whatever it is. You And so you kind of buy into that. Right? You buy into that. Or Holmgren's way where where coach would say, okay, here's, here's what we do and here's why we do it. And so well, you, you assume everybody's educated, everybody can understand that and go forward. And that's kind of what to be productive today is going to happen. So what challenges do you see for upcoming leaders and how do you see this evolving? This is a scary thing. It's really scary. I think about Jim Clifton, CEO of Gallup, wrote a book called The Coming Jobs War. And in it, he was talking about engaged workers, disengaged workers, and actively disengaged workers. And he talked about there were, the engaged workers was 28%. The disengaged workers, 53%, and actively disengaged workers were 19%. But he concluded this, and this has not happened. He said that the 28% of engaged workers have got to start pulling from that 53% and moving them up. Because the dangerous part is the 19% of actively disengaged workers <laughs> are trying to pull them down. But I don't see the 28% pulling the 53%. I see the 19% winning. They're pulling disengaged workers basically to actively disengaged workers. And so that's the challenge of the future. That's the challenge of leaders today. How do we get disengaged workers to engage? And I think, I think there's ways we can do that. You got to create a clear mission. 
And then you got to recruit employees of like passion. I think you got to find people who like to be in the job that you're putting them in and, and they enjoy participating. You got to go find those people who think like you. When you create that culture, you got to find people who fit into that culture. But engaging modern workers isn't just about finding the right people. It's about managing them the right way. The thing about it is bosses have to be psychologists in a sense. You got to sit down and evaluate each individual and say, here's what I need to have this conversation. But I need to make sure that they know there are some things that's important to me, to them. One is they have a future with the company and they have a purpose with the company. And, and they've got to explain that in a way that, yes, I'm telling you, you need to modify your behavior in a sense, but you're going to be around you have a future. And so the way to communicate that is different now than it was in the past. I love the, but you have a place because one sport that's, I think is a true team sport, especially nowadays is football. Because yes. football is a play where if everybody does their job on a given play, it should be a touchdown. But it's always somebody not doing their job that's the results in the big gain or the big loss. So having employees understand that their job, no matter how little they think it is, if they don't do it, the whole team suffers is, is something that, that I think good managers do and it makes people feel their importance no matter where they are in the organization. It only takes one not doing their job in order for the play to break down. Now you need 11 for the play to work. One can make the play break down. And, and so that's why it's a team concept that you've got to get the individuals around you fired up to say, I'm going to do my job to the best of my ability. That's the challenge today. I think what you have to do, you have to produce a loyalty to the company, right? So, so sometimes it's not about you, the leaders, about the company. How do we get people to be loyal to what we're doing, right? So if I'm running a bank, how do I get people to be loyal to making me a great bank? If I'm running a charity, how do I get people to be loyal to making a great charity? Because at the end of the day, leaders change, right? You got CEOs, they come and go. The whole thing is you want to make them loyal to the industry. The day of... My daddy worked here, my granddaddy worked here, my great-grandfather. Those days are, I would say they're obsolete. But now what we have to do is make sure that the individuals, whoever they are, said, I like this place. I want to make this place better. I want to be engaged. I'm getting the, enough information to say, this is how I can make a change. And even though my job, as you said, Patrick, is small, the small job I do makes a change all the way up the line. One way to inspire engagement in employees is with an approach that Keith calls servant leadership. I think servant leadership is leading from out front. You got to be in front and, you, and they've got to see you and they've got to believe in not just what you're saying, but also what you're doing. You got to have both of them because some people will say something, but they don't do it. They're watching you and they're saying, do you believe what you're telling me? And so when you talk about being a servant, you talk about individuals who are not coming down to wash your feet, but yet and still they get down in there with you and you see that they are working hard and they're grinding also. I love what George Patton say, you know, you either lead, follow, or get the hell out of the way, right? So you got to understand Am I a leader or am I not a leader? And I need to get into my position. But if you understand that you want to define leadership, leadership has a lot of parameters around it. But one is indicating is, is that you're there to serve the people and to make sure that you're helping that individual or that company. Great story of a friend of mine, CEO. He was like, he went to a company, become CEO, and he goes, I don't want the high salary. I'd rather have stock. 
And they go, but we want to pay you this salary. Don't want that salary. Where they have stock. And they go, well, the company's struggling. He said, yeah, but I believe in the company, right? How many of his VPs and senior VPs said, this is the guy for the job, right? And so that reminds me of, of being a servant leader. Whether it's financial, whether it's physical, you still are down there with everybody and you're working just as hard as they are and they see it. And even if you've been a leader for a long time, Keith says it's important to avoid complacency. You can always get better. And when you're talking about redefine and improve your leadership skill, as long as you're learning, you're getting better. When you think you know it all, oh, we're in trouble. Can you think of a time where somebody kind of, you got up there that spot and they knocked you down pretty good? <laughs> <laughs> Probably my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, so look, I got to tell a great story. So we're playing the San Diego Chargers back when they were San Diego. And uh, I caught two touchdowns. Big game. We go to the playoffs. I mean, it was big. I thought I was big. I walk in with my chest all big, you know, and I said, hey, honey, you see me at the game today? She said, I did. But the trash need to be taken out. <laughs> <laughs> Leadership is different for everybody and every business. There is no one-size-fits-all approach. As long as you see it, say it, and write it, there's room for your unique style. And if you lead from the front with hard work and humility, chances are people will follow. The best leaders are always looking to get better. So be a student of leadership. You may not have access to NFL legends, but there are plenty of great mentors out there. If you keep improving, you'll be ready to lead into the future, regardless of what comes next. Thank you, Keith Jackson Sr. for tackling such an important topic with us today. Hidden Good Companies is a podcast from Cadence Bank, member FDIC, equal opportunity lender. Sheena Cochran is our production coordinator. Our executive producer is Danielle Cornell, with writing and production from Andrew Ganim and sound design and mixing by Ben Cranell at Lower Street Media. I'm your host, Patrick Pacheco. If you made it this far, why don't you go rate and review us in your podcast app? It's the best way to grow the show so we can reach even more listeners. And while you're there, subscribe. We'd love to have you because when you're with us, we're in good companies. This podcast is provided as a free service to you and is for general informational purposes only. Cadence Bank and its affiliates make no representation or warranties as to the accuracy, completeness, or timeliness of the content in the podcast. The podcast is not intended to provide legal, accounting, or tax advice and should not be relied upon for such purposes. To the extent that this podcast includes predictions about the economy, these predictions are subject to a number of variables and you should confer with your legal, accounting, and tax advisors for their input regarding the possible outcomes of any economic subject matter discussed herein. Predictions are forward-looking statements that reflect current views with respect to, among other things, future events. Forward-looking statements are not historical facts and are based on current expectations, estimates, and projections, many of which, by their nature, are inherently uncertain and beyond the control of any person or entity. Accordingly, please be aware that any such forward-looking statements are not guarantees and are subject to risks, assumptions, and uncertainties that are difficult to predict. The views and opinions expressed by the host and guests in this podcast are solely their own current opinions regarding the subject matter discussed in the podcast and are based on their own opinions. Such views, perspectives, and opinions do not reflect those of Cadence Bank or any of its affiliates or the companies with which any guest is or may be affiliated. The production and presentation of this podcast by Cadence Bank does not imply the expressions of any opinion on the part of Cadence Bank or any of its affiliates.